Hey there! Welcome to the Mini Brains One Heart Podcast. If you're looking for some feel-good stories from people who are changing the world, you've come to the right place. We've got a collection of interviews with some amazing individuals who aren't afraid to share their ups and downs on their journey towards making a difference. Sure, it takes a lot more than one brain to make things happen, but when you've got a group of passionate people working together, there's no limit to what can be accomplished. So grab a seat, sit back, and let's get to the heart of the matter. Welcome. Fun. This is our first podcast. Thanks I for know. being here, Lori. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. <laughs> what we're here to find out is a little bit more about you and Turning Points Collaborative and find out uh, what that organization does in this community, uh, what you do for that organization, and and who you serve. So um, awesome. let's give me a little uh, high-level recap of what the Turning Points Collaborative is all about. Sure. Um, Turning Points Collaborative Society is our full name. Uh, we serve people who are homeless or at risk of homelessness in our community. So we're providing outreach, shelter services, addiction support, and housing. And we work everywhere from Enderby to West Kelowna. So it's a pretty big area. Our main office is in Vernon, but we've spread pretty far to meet the needs that are going on in our community right now. And it's grown a lot like in the time that I've been here. Turning Points wasn't always Turning Points. That's it right. It started off as a couple of different couple of different organizations, I guess. Yeah, formerly a John Howard Society. And there was a point, I'd say it was about 2017, where the organization realized that the mandate was had sort of shifted. You know, there's still John Howard Societies in Kelowna and in other parts of uh, the province, but we were shifting a little bit. And so there was a name change that I think you guys helped out with, which has really, mm-hmm. was important to reflect the current status of the organization and what the goals were. So I think the name has really secured itself too, in a lot of ways. One of the big parts of what I do as the Executive Director of Communications is my title, is to create awareness about who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily brand awareness, but it's mm-hmm. awareness of who provides these services in mm-hmm. the community. And who they can, you know, who people can call, you know, to a- answer questions or right. reach out to for supports. And one of the things I do is sort of navigate those incoming questions and who's best to answer this and, um, you know, who can support that person. Um, and what I find amazing about our group, you know, there's between full time and part time staff, there's over 200 employees right now. So it's a big group. Wow. But the individual service that happens, it, you know, it still amazes me mm-hmm. that, you know, when I walk into the shelter in Vernon, which is pretty big, our staff knows everybody by their first name. Mm-hmm. They could have just arrived and they know them personally. Wow. If I get an email from, you know, a specific person about their son or daughter, I know that when I send that off to our our team, they're going to get a phone call. They'll get a direct phone call. So there's this real one-on-one service because our team just really cares a lot about making sure that people have access to housing. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and having been in the community for these years, I've seen how many different components are moving parts that mm-hmm. have come along with that, and mm-hmm. and um, and it's never been more apparent. And being communications mm-hmm. uh, you probably hear 
everything and and manage the messaging and all that. So how yeah. has from that perspective, how do you manage that messaging piece? Mm. Yeah, there's we've taken a really deliberate approach to not respond to the haters are going to hate, you know? And so we just don't apologize for who we are and what we do. You know, there are some segments of the population that just want someone to blame and 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 that's you know, human nature, I think. Right. So yeah. our our goal is to just do the work and be present in the community. I want to be the first person to answer media requests. I want to make sure that if if media reaches out to us, that we are the first to answer. We want to answer. We want mm-hmm. to be seen as the ones who kind of know what's happening and are responding. And that's about sort of building trust in the community. Um, So that can't just happen at a communications level. It has to actually be happening, and it does. I mean, I think our our executive team, our leadership team is very connected in the community and, you know, just always, you know, the the collaboration is in our name and it's not – it's not by chance. It was an important piece, I'm sure, and this was before my time, but – the way collaboration works uh, with our team and the community is such a critical piece of how we operate and why I think we've been successful. Right. Um, and I think it is a little bit of that special sauce of why Vernon is doing really well when it comes to addressing homelessness. I mean, there's obviously lots of work still to be done, but mm-hmm. the the collaborative approach of having you know, regular communications, interactions, phone calls, meetings with committees and, you know, other agencies, government bodies, all of that, like we have, that's been a really important piece and it works, you know. So I think that's one of the reasons why it's it's working in, in Vernon. Right. You know. How do you evaluate that? Like when you say, yeah. when you compare how... Vernon's doing compared to Cologne or, or Vancouver or Nelson or whatever. How do you how do you evaluate how, yeah, how you're doing? It's it's probably one of the biggest challenges I have and one of the first things I asked when I started because I don't come from a specific communications background. I right. don't have a you know master's degree in communications. <laughs> we'll talk about how I got here later, but <laughs> yeah. um, that was one of the first questions I asked was how can I show success? How can I say like, look at the numbers, this is what we were and this is where we are. But, you know, it kind of became really clear to me that individual success is what we're after, right? Right. So success might look like, you know, Joe at the shelter learned how to do laundry today, you know, or, you know, somebody else got a job you know, hasn't been able to hold down a job or, you know, somebody else is dealing with their addiction. So how do you evaluate from one person to the next what success is? It's not like we're moving, you know, it's not cattle. These are human beings and they all have different lived experiences, different challenges. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, on on the sort of bigger societal scale, we're dealing with housing crisis, a rental crisis, we had the pandemic, we had fires all going on, and then we have, you know, the opioid poisoning crisis. So all of that is this massive piece of what we deal with. And so I think take away all those big external factors and we'd be able to show this person moved through here, but we've got all these other things happening that are kind of putting additional pressure on creating this, you know, the numbers. So it's just hard to make it a numbers game. Right. 
and of course the, the public only evaluates it based on what they see, yeah. right? Which yeah. is what's happening on the streets or in the parks or yeah. wherever else, and that's how they exactly. evaluate it. Exactly, but I had um, one of the the ways I think that this really showed up is when we had the, we were at the community expo last year and the mayor said this, but we also heard it from multiple people coming up to us was like, what would it look like if Turning Points wasn't here? So you may see homelessness visibly, but if Turning Points wasn't providing the services here, like, I can't imagine what that would look like. No, exactly. You know, so, you, you know, you've got uh, we've got a shelter. We've got a couple of supportive housing buildings. We've got scattered site housing. We've got a motel program. We've got addiction services. Like right. when you add all those things up and then in Kelowna and in West Kelowna, the, the numbers, you know, we're housing over 500 people at night. So right. imagine <laughs> not having access to those wow. services. And and then, you know, I mean, everybody has their different reasons for, for maybe living rough if that's what people see. But mm-hmm. that isn't the only, that's not the only uh, measure of homelessness, right. you know, you don't necessarily see the 70 year old man sleeping in his truck at McDonald's. Right. You may not see it. You just see a truck there. And, you know, the, the response to something like that in Vernon is incredible. Like I that specific example is I had forgotten about this when you were asking before about, you know, um, you know, specific stories about mm-hmm. communications. Right. And my daughter was working at McDonald's and I, every time I dropped her off, I saw this man in his Dodge pickup and he looked like an older guy, like sixties for sure. The truck is fully packed with stuff. And I, after dropping her off for a couple of weeks, I'm like, that, that man is living there for sure. He's living out of his truck. And so I phoned our team and she literally drove over there and called me day later saying, yeah, we got him into a place. He had no idea no way. what to do. Wow. He didn't know. He doesn't want to navigate the services. Right. Like it's, you've never been homeless before. How do you, how do you know? I think of my dad, my dad wouldn't know what to do. Right. So this man was just like, well, I guess I'm and living in my truck. there's a lot of pr- pride in there For too, sure. right? For sure. Like, well, I can survive. I can do this yeah. on my own. So wow. she shows up and this isn't a handout we're talking about. It's like you are actually, you can apply and qualify for certain subsidies when you're below, you know, a certain income level. Right. You wouldn't have known that, you know, so got him into our, mm-hmm. our motel program, that kind of thing. So that's sort of, that's what I was saying before about that one-on-one support. And that mm-hmm. happens in a small community in a way that maybe doesn't happen in larger centers. You know, I, I think this the service providers in a place like Vancouver probably would argue that because in their in their um, specific area of work, for sure, they know everybody one on one. But you're dealing with multiple agencies and trying to collaborate in that environment would be pretty challenging, right. I would think. So, yeah. Yeah, it's probably surprise would be surprising for a lot of people to know who all the people are that you serve because, like mm-hmm. you say, you know, when we when we talk about homelessness, you know, there's stereotypes mm-hmm. still. Yeah. Um, but we know that you know there are lots of other um, reasons why people end up yeah. homeless, like that, for example, that yeah. gentleman in the truck. So. Maybe talk about a little bit about who all the different mm-hmm. people are that you serve and, and and maybe there's some surprises there that yeah. people don't even know about. Well, I think one of the things that's happening now due to these other big pressures is that gap is really growing, you know, from low income to high income. That middle group is at 
greater risk than ever before. And I think one of the one of the groups that you know probably breaks my heart the most is the seniors, and um, you know just like that man, but it's they don't know what to do, and why should they like? Right. Get so angry about that. These yeah. are the people that have worked their whole lives, have given back to their community, maybe volunteered in their community, and then they end up on pension and can't afford rent, period. Mm-hmm. And now they're the ones that have to struggle through homelessness. The idea that, you know, folks who are working, who are maybe fleeing abuse or just on low income are at serious risk, if not, you know, fully entrenched into homelessness mm-hmm. now. That group mm-hmm. is growing you know, at a rate that we've not seen before. Right. And those other big pressures, you know, are, are happening and, and causing that. Right. So single parents too are single parents group, right? are is a huge part. Yeah. You know, we've got a motel program here that, you know, I was going door to door talking to some of them and, you know, one man that I remember in particular, like he's, I don't know, maybe in his forties, three kids on his own. He can't work. He's got three little kids. Wow. How is he supposed to afford a job and daycare these little kids and and can't find a house because who wants to rent to a man with three little kids, you know, and no job? That's not going to happen for him. Right. So <laughs> that's just like this vicious cycle for him. How does he get out of it? And so working with our team kind of helps him find access to the subsidies maybe he would uh, qualify for actually help ha- have some of those interviews with landlords. But for now, you know, in our motel program. And right. at least having a roof over his head with his little kids, yeah. you know. And you're right, navigating those those processes and procedures because they're still attached to bureaucracy yep. and government Super and applications, and just having access to people who understand it mm-hmm. is such a huge yeah. relief. I would imagine we have a homeless outreach program that kind of c- connects with people specifically for that to help them navigate those services. Wow. So um, that's just one of the, and that phone rings off the hook off the hook so so there's room there's room for growth yeah I think so I think so but you know it's all comes down to to funding and I think one of the growth areas too right now that really needs some focus is uh, addiction services you know we can't have enough of that right now and I think every community in the province and the country would probably say the same thing about that right you know our addiction services team is incredible I feel like they literally see lives changed every day. Like it's that's not an exaggeration by any means, you know. So um, that program works, and the in terms of statistics, it's at you know its success rate is higher than the national average by a long shot. Really? So I think we could, if wow. we grew that, um, I think that would be a, a. I mean, that's a goal of ours for sure. It comes down to kind of marketing and campaigns, and those are hard to do as a as an agency that's a nonprofit. You right. know, we don't have you know, a deep, deep pockets to to kind of dive into that kind of marketing, but that's definitely on the radar. And then the other thing right now that's getting a lot of traction, I think, because it it just makes sense is we're calling it the scattered sites program. So when you're looking at a continuum of housing everywhere from shelter, although I'd argue shelter is not housing, that's just emergency services, all the way through supportive housing to affordable housing and then market housing, we're trying to address this problem of just access to that affordable and market housing because people can't move through the continuum if there's no housing on the other end. So people wonder, well, you know, why is is nobody moving through supportive housing? Well, where are they going to move into, you know? 
it's hard for somebody with a full-time job to find a rental right now, right. let alone someone who's maybe got some lived experience of homelessness and, you know, maintaining a job and that sort of thing to be an attractive rental tenant for a landlord. Right. So what we're working on is this program where we will kind of broker that relationship between a tenant and a landlord. So mm -hmm. for a year, we will sign the lease and we will be that kind of backup. So I've got a tenant for you, Heath, and you're like, okay, but look, you know, turning points will sign the lease to make sure and support him through that tenancy. So if they have problems meeting rent th that year, we will be able to kind of back them up. I mean, the, the still the the expectation is they'll pay rent, and, right. but that year is turning point supporting them to maintain tenancy and really understand how it works, right. right? And then at the end of the year, everything goes great. We will sign over the lease to the tenant and you guys have a an ongoing relationship. Huh. But then that's also that's protection great. for the landlord that if something does happen, not all tenancies are gonna be successful, whether or not there's somebody that's come out of homelessness. Oh, yeah. I mean, as a landlord, I've experienced that before. Mm -hmm. So it's protection for the landlord too, to have, and you know, we have experience and, and staff members who understand the residential tenancy branch and, and all of the bureaucracy that goes with that. And that's right. a whole other conversation oh, yeah, and frustration yeah. Yeah. Um, for landlords as well as for tenants. So we're trying to just broker that relationship to make it attractive for landlords to try and get us a little more, you know, we just want to have access to more rentals. We need more stock, yeah. you know, for folks so we can move people through That's the continuum. Yeah. 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 So we, we just had this that. big fundraiser in Kelowna last weekend, a comedy show and oh, um, raised great. money for it. And it was really successful. I think we're at like 77,000 we raised. And so that's like that money is basically the kitty to keep that working and it's a revolving fund like right. it's it's not one that should deplete right. if everything works successfully it'll support the next person coming in and the next person coming in so so yeah. that program was cross intercity yeah oh, well wow. exactly yeah we were that's focusing great. on Kelowna with right. that one but we started that program in Vernon as well oh wow yeah that's great yeah yeah, I could so. see that going well. Yeah. yeah, that's risk free, really. Exactly. I mean, you're doing you're doing something really good. You're providing a service as a as a landowner or a homeowner. Yeah. And, but you're also collaborating with turning points. Yeah. Which is yeah. That's and amazing. you can see success with it. That's yeah. a thing. Like I think you know, folks who want to contribute mm -hmm. to an agency want to see success. They right. want to understand how does it work. So you know, this one allows you to see Brian got access to a house we're supporting him and at the end of the year Brian is taking over you know Brian is okay now Brian is taken care of that's the nice. that's easy to yeah. to see and wrap your head around yeah. you know and Brian is an actual person that I interviewed him for a little video I did for the for the fundraiser but it was not meant to be that you know this is the nuts and bolts of the program it was meant to be this is who you're helping and this is how it helps. And it's right. just that concept of access to a basic human right of a roof over your head. Mm -hmm. And it was one of these like moments. I mean, you would know as a filmmaker too, like I wrote out what I wanted it to look like and sound like. And it was literally a minute. That's that's all I needed it to be was I'm not a cinematographer. So I just had my cell phone right. and I'm like, okay, I just set myself up for success here so I just want to shoot a couple shots of his environment where he's living and record him telling me what it means how what it means to him and right. 
So I wrote out this description of what his apartment looked like. And I walked in and I swear to God, it was exactly how I described it. Like right down to the Louis L'Amour book sitting on his side table. So I was like, okay. (laughs) So I shot this stuff and then interviewed him. And he was one of the best interviews I've probably ever done in my career. And I got a 30-year career of interviewing a lot of people. And he just kind of hit it out of the park. And one of the things he said was, this place is like heaven to me. Like, wow. And this is the most sparsely decorated little apartment you've ever seen. And he was like, I have died and gone to heaven. That's what he told me. Wow. You know, he's That's like, amazing. I never thought I would have a place this nice. Wow. And he's this funny 70-year-old crotchety old guy with a bit of a twinkle in his eye, right? You know, one of those guys. Right. And uh, he said to me, well, I'm not, I'm not the poster child, you know. And I'm like, you kind of are, actually, <laughs> yeah, you because, are. <laughs> you know, 70 years old, was 13 years living out of his truck and on the street because he couldn't work because he broke his back. Oh, so the way God. he described it is he kind of fell into poor health and poverty. Was this and the guy in McDonald's? No, this oh, is a whole different, different guy. guy. This, is, guy. this is how common it is, That's right? Probably a very similar story. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. So 13 years, and he was kind of funny. He's like, 13 years of wow. navigating government agencies, and I couldn't figure it out. And then six months with turning points, and I'm in an apartment like this, and holy cow, it's it's wow. done, you know. So he's just one of those amazing stories. But that's the that's can be really common, yeah. you know. When you're providing the continuum, when you have the support services, he's we have a support worker that goes to see him once a week, once every couple of weeks, just to check in on him. And he's like, "It's nice. I've got I've got a guy, Jeff. He'll come. He'll pick me up from a medical appointment if I need or whatever." And so, kind of just getting him on his feet. So it's that's just one of those stories that will probably sit with me for a long time. Yeah, and it's just such evidence for you that w- what you guys are doing works. Yeah. Exactly. And where it's needed. And it's not just, there's not just one solution. Exactly. And that's the thing I want to shout from the rooftops, especially when it comes to addiction services, that it's not just a, you know, force people into, you know, you know, forced addiction treatment. Mm -hmm. You know, that might work for this person, but then the next person we need to wait. Like we need to have services where harm reduction is available and services where it is abstinent. Like we need all of it. Mm -hmm. So that silver bullet, I think if it existed, we would have figured it out by now. So I think we need, you know, just a wide range of of services to meet those needs. Yeah. And you brought this up earlier when you talked about that, you know, this is a a nonprofit organization. It's a business and you're part of the sort of marketing component. Mm -hmm. And it's a business that needs to be marketed yeah. and it needs to raise awareness. It needs to raise uh, money. Mm-hmm. What are some of the challenges you experience mm. as a nonprofit within this sort of, um, you know, you're in a very social problem solving mm-hmm. industry. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? How do, how do you? I don't know. He helped me out. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because I, I come from a, a background of creating content for, organizations that have sort of figured out their strategy or are working on their strategy. And so now being embedded in it and developing the strategy is sort of a different side for me. I love our approach. I love that, you know, the the plan is to just be proud of who we are and just do the work. I I find that uh, really easy to kind of get behind um, and support. And so it's a little bit about just, you know, 
being at the events, networking. Um, I'm not very good at that, and that's you know, it's just me. But our whole team does it. Right. Um, they're they're around. You know, being available at you know the expo and job fairs and things like that, and we're actually right. noticing traction improve, social media, that kind of thing. Our website, the actual the the change with our website was a massive fix for us. And mm-hmm. I knew when I when I landed in the job, that's not my forte, but that was the first thing that needed to be addressed. Yeah. It wasn't good enough, and yeah. it wasn't clear, and now it is, and it's always a. A moving target, I think, and it can always do a little bit better. Right. But that certainly helped. Yeah, I I feel like we've got to we got to crack that nut a little bit more too. It's a like you say, it is a business. We operate like a business, but we're also a business that's trying to kind of work ourselves out of a job. That's the whole point. Right. 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 And solve I, the problem. It's hard to justify no spending. <laughs> exactly. But I, it's also hard to justify spending a whole lot of money on marketing when that money can be, you know, put towards a program. Yeah. And I think we'll always kind of come down to that, you know, is what we're spending our time and money on actually serving people. Yeah. That's the goal. Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest challenge is obviously stereotyping and just those, you know, working against the people that don't understand, you know, stigma is, yeah. is a huge piece of it. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that story you told of Brian just now, for mm-hmm. example, I mean, that mm-hmm. to me is, is the most compelling yeah. way to show and tell people yeah. what you, the organization does and who it supports. Because I mean, those more the more of those stories that get out there, yeah. people see and exactly. hear from the people who are actually you know being impacted and and mm-hmm. getting the positive outcomes. Yeah, that's really cool. Because that story for me was awesome. Yeah, you know. But I would say you walk through the shelter, and if yeah. you stopped and interviewed every single person, you'd every, hear a story, and you'd be like, "Oh wow, I never would have thought." We were just. Yeah. I had a. It was yeah. a local filmmaker that um, came through and he's doing a piece for Story Hive, Tell a Story Hive. And he, he sat down and interviewed, he's interviewed a few people, but um, this one woman at the shelter and she's a nurse, a couple kids and, you know, had a whole life, like married, couple kids, full-time job. And I think it was, you know, her family broke down and landed in addiction, like prescription drugs. Right. Lost her kids, lost her house, God. lost her job, lost, you know, and she's sitting at the shelter. So this is like, this is like me. That could happen to mm-hmm. me, right? Any one of us. Any one of us. Yeah. And so I think if you walked through the shelter and talked to every single person the same way, you'd hear that story. Same with the supportive housing. Every one of them probably has the most fascinating background and lived mm-hmm. experience. And getting that out is the challenge, right? Because I can tell all those stories. And that's like the dream job, right? Sure. As a storyteller, that's what you do. That's what I do. Yeah. How do you get it out there then? Like I can produce the content, but then it's like the marketing piece. So that's where I, I, that's the challenge, I think. Right. Yeah. The, uh, well, we met a little while ago when we were meeting about the, doing a video for Turning Points. Yeah. For me, seeing seeing the spaces because mm-hmm. uh, part of that video was about showing the spaces but not the faces yeah. right and, yeah. and really ex- uh, explaining what goes on in some of those facilities and that was just a voiceover mm-hmm. that was told by actual actual participants from the program yeah. that was very impactful I mean just listening to those stories mm-hmm. during the filming of that but also seeing the locations and, and how many people actually go through those facilities yeah. Yeah. 
it was really eye-opening too is so it's it's showing it's you know that's a really it's that's the biggest part of that is mm-hmm. the storytelling and getting those out there but yeah and i think like even just doing a podcast like this there's mm-hmm. there's so much to that concept of the voices mm-hmm. right like yeah do i need to see your face do i yeah. need to you know breach your privacy in order to understand your story and i just obviously never want to be in a position of exploiting someone yeah that's you get you get caught up in that level you know are you leveraging this yeah. person for that reason yeah. and, and stuff like that which is i think why I, you went down that yeah. road with that video was Definitely. to kind of remove the face but hear the story hear the voice yeah and it does show too how a voice has so much character yeah. if we had brought actors in to do that it would have been so transparent no, that they were actors so you have no. you know the real voice with that gravelly sound or whatever it might be you yeah. know that's an actual person and that's, that's their actual yeah. story yeah yeah. So, and a good microphone makes all the difference. Oh, yeah. That's huge. <laughs> right? Should we do some ASMR right now? <laughs> How does it sound, Joe? <laughs> that's actually a good segue to talk about you a little bit and where you came from before yeah. you got to Vernon. So, uh, give us a little insight on that. All right. Yeah. So, Enderby Girl. Don't judge me. I love Enderby. I love my hometown. And sort of grew up knowing I wanted to be in television and just kind of set the path and made my way. Did BCIT and then worked in television and uh, documentary production, some scripted as well, um, in Vancouver for 30 years. And then, you know, like so many other people, COVID hit and my husband and I had talked about moving to the Okanagan for retirement and COVID just sort of allowed it to happen sooner. So right. we kind of, it's not early retirement because I feel like I'm working more now than ever, but um, <laughs> we made our way to the Okanagan and, you know, just love it. I love being near my my dad and our cabin on the lake and just sort of being at the end of the day, being where you want to be. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. that was the hard part mm-hmm. was in Vancouver. I mean, I loved our little community, but I was always trying to leave. I was always trying to get out of town and getting out of town out of Vancouver is not fun. So (laughs) yeah, traffic wise. So yeah, Yeah, whole whole career of television, film, back to television. And I'm still doing that though. I still do that sort of in parallel to the work. So the Turning Points work is, Mm -hmm. you know, half time. And then the other half time, I'm still producing documentaries two going right now with cbc and cool. it's um it's great still happening well i've enjoyed getting to know you because that was uh was right about it was during covid when you moved here right yep. so then that was when we were sort of shifting how we were able to contribute to community organizations and that and we had decided to start doing some video productions yeah, for and- uh, for nonprofits, and i and i Pick turning points, not even knowing yeah. where you came from, but I knew you were new to town. Well, and that when you offered that, I was like, I know the value of this. Like, this is incredible. Yeah. It really is incredible. And that still sits on the front page of our website and is used all the time as a way to really explain who we are in a quick and easy way that, yeah. you know, people really understand. Yeah. So, yeah, it was an incredible donation. And then, well, that's, it was, it's a big part of the community and yeah. always has been so yeah. it's like to me it's really important it was a really important one to get in there yeah. so we're going to continue doing that kind awesome. of work in the community but 
uh, was a great one to start with. And also great, too, in the fact that here you came from the uh, being a producer for 30 years. And yeah, it was, it was like, such oh, a, that was a great experience. It was so, so surreal for me. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm a client now? That's weird. <laughs> I was a little oh, bit Oh, I didn't have to coordinate to... this. <laughs> I don't have to ask the question. It was really weird. <laughs> but awesome. You, yeah. you guys are doing great. <laughs> awesome. I was a little intimidated. I got it. <laughs> She's the real deal. I'm, I'm gonna make, this has got to be good. Scary Lori comes out. <laughs> <laughs> Jill might have felt that way about me in the edit, I'm sure. I'm also an editor by trade, so he's probably Not like, at all. <laughs> Stop with the notes already. <laughs> oh, that's good. So what are you uh what are you liking about Vernon? What's what's your favorite stuff to do here, places to go now that you're Oh yeah, you asked Renee? about like hidden gems and I don't think it's all that hidden, but like, it's all about food for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they're two right across the street from each other. Raku Ramen and mm. Kawakubo. The best. The Those best. I'm going good. to Raku Ramen, ramen tonight. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. home alone with my son, and I'm like, you want to go for ramen tonight? Oh, yeah. He's like, yeah, I do. So <laughs> it's the best. And Raku's uh, chicken vermicelli. Oh, yeah. yeah it's very good. Yeah. Oh, no. So, oh, so chicken ramen bowl. That's Yo, chicken, oh, chicken. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. good. I love that one. Just love the ramen. Yeah. Really <laughs> So Turning Points, uh, talk a little bit about this organization and how it fits on the world stage in relation to social change. Yeah, there's a couple pieces when you asked that question before, um, you know, and just sort of prepping for this that I, I think it's interesting because we're in such a small community and I was like, how do we fit on the world stage? And then it just sort of hit me that homelessness is not a Vernon problem, not a BC problem, not a Canada problem. It's a world problem. And um, my career, a huge part of my career and a huge part of my identity in my career has been working with a nonprofit out of New West that is a development agency. So I've traveled the world to film stories of people living in poverty all around the world. And it occurred to me that homelessness may look different in Vernon than it does in Ethiopia or Cambodia or Bangladesh or wherever, but the problem's the same. And, you know, it's still a person requiring a roof over their head and trying to provide for their family. Mm. And that's ultimately what this is. And, you know, we think we're in a first world country and yet we've got people living in their truck. Like, mm-hmm. wh- why? Mm-hmm. What? What's happening here? And so I think we fit there because the approach is, is very similar to that agency that I work with, which is, you know, we're not going to come in and tell you what you need. We're going to work with you. You tell us what you need and you are needing to do the work. You know, it's not us providing this handout. It's getting you on your feet so that you can do the work. And that, you know, we go back to the Brian story. He's like, I want to pay rent. That's I want to be contributing to society. I can pay rent. I just can't pay an exorbitant amount of rent, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that's the other misconception that we're dealing with is that these like these handouts and we're, you know, just doling money out to people. And that's not the goal. The goal right. is to get people on their feet, to be contributing members of society, because I'd say most of the people want that, want to do that. You know, like you said, there's pride involved in mm-hmm. this. And I'd say every single person I talked to around the world said the same thing. You know, I Mm -hmm. want to do this. I want to be able to have clean water, have a roof over my head. 
same as Brian out of his truck. Right. You know, so that's one of the pieces. And then the other one is just this, I, one of the things that we're really proud of at Turning Points is we've kind of become a knowledge base and we're, we're looked to for advice and consultation from other nonprofits. So mm. everything we learn, we want to be able to pass on. Like we're not yeah. in competition Public with each other. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like if we've learned a lesson, we want every mm-hmm. provider to understand, you know, what we learned and maybe they can apply it mm-hmm. in that way. So yeah. it's not, we're not in competition. You know, we're all here to have the same end goal you know we want to end chronic homelessness that's the end goal right Mm -hmm. so whatever we can do to pass on and that's we're really proud of that and i and it's something we take we think is really important in the work we do we get phone calls weekly i'd say multiple calls weekly from other agencies around the province asking us about you know could be applying for a grant or how did you deal with this issue or vice versa so i heard that actually which yeah. is kind of one of the reasons why I asked that question was I heard that people were were coming to turning points mm. to find out how are you doing this? Well, how did you manage this? Yeah. How did you succeed at this? Yeah. Are you finding it's coming from beyond BC? Yeah, we have. We have had it from, uh, you know, I, I would say it's for sure um, within Canada, but, you know, a couple of other uh, referrals from the United States have come in. Wow. and. I don't know how the word gets out that far, that but that's amazing. Lot. It, I think it does yeah, say a lot. It and, a lot. you know, it's a shout out to our leadership for sure. You know, sure. there's a really clear vision from the top from yeah. Randine, our, our CEO, and she's just really clear about our approach. And one of the things I think that also allows us to really respond is just that we're not, we're a non-government organization, so we can be nimble and innovative and mm-hmm. adapt and move quickly. You know, when we see something not working, we can adjust, right. you know, we can respond to needs quickly and, and you have to be creative, yeah. you know, and she's got so much energy and so many ideas that, you know, she sees the need and, and how how we need to adapt to yeah. it. So we can move quickly that way. So I think that's another reason why it's successful, mm-hmm. that it can't just be a government response. You know, it would probably move a lot slower. Yeah. You know, we, our funding, a lot of our funding comes from the provincial government, from BC Housing. But, you know, we are sort of responding to the individual needs on the ground so we can see them and respond to them. Yeah. You know, Yeah. That so I sense. think that's the other reason. Yeah. What challenges are you foreseeing for the organization in the coming years? Hmm. Well, I just hope the big social challenges don't get any bigger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I feel like um, our our team ha- must have some PTSD after, especially after the fires, because that was sort of like the one last big thing. Like, how can we deal with any more? Right. It was... At the time it was all going on, you know, you all just sort of deal with it. But when you kind of come down afterwards, and I'd say we're now in this place where now what we're dealing with are the housing crisis and the opioid crisis. Those are huge issues. But, you know, when you're adding pandemic and fires and all those other things on top of it, it just mm-hmm. it got overwhelming. So hopefully those things kind of stay at bay and we can tackle the addiction crisis is 
is huge. And so advocacy is a big part of what we want to be participating in, you know, at the government level. Mm -hmm. And it's another amazing thing about being in a small community is to have access to our elected officials in a way that's personal, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like we can I can make phone calls and we can have conversations and we and we have, you know, really caring officials in, mm-hmm. in our off in our area right now that understand what's going on. Yeah. They're part of the community too. They 100%, see it. They exactly. know exactly what's And going I don't on. really care what political stripe you are. Right. I, you know, I may not agree with, with everybody's methodology, but I think at the end everybody really just mm-hmm. wants to make sure people are housed and, and cared for. So it's just a matter of how do we get you know, what's, what's the plan to get there? Right. So, you know, I don't have a lot of time for the, you know, the ship them out and move them, you know, or, or the lies that, I mean, if that's the other one, you know, if we're going to talk about what some of the challenges are, the, this, you know, the social media chaos that comes with, you know, dealing with an, with something like homelessness, which is always a, a flashpoint mm-hmm. issue. You know, if you go on Vernon rant and rave or something like that, you're just going to lose your mind because it's right. it's way more rant than rave. And oh. it's a lot of, you know, misinformation and straight out lies. And personal opinions. Yeah. And personal attacks. Yeah. And you see that happening. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, again, I ground myself in our plan of yeah. we're just not going to we're not going to respond to that kind of activity and just be proud of who we are and and go forward. But I think, you know, social media chaos is a massive challenge, I think. Yeah, so, I can imagine. Yeah. Especially from your role, from your yeah. perspective, because yeah. you have to deal with it head on. And I, yeah. I tend to just not respond. Right. Because I, I think it just it almost hurts us more than helps us. Right. You know, because a lot of it is just chaos for the sake of chaos. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we saw plenty of that this year. Yeah, or last yeah, year. don't need to jump into that. And there are certain individuals who love to create the chaos. And so, yeah. Yeah. you know, <laughs> it's just face to face, let's have the chat, but not on social media. No, no, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Exactly. Okay, this has been awesome. So fun. Uh, I don't Be talking so. about myself and what we do. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, great. No passion involved. No. No. <laughs> Yeah, it's just thing about it. Everybody there is you guys are all passionate. I love what you do. And you can see that you can see it in in every aspect of it, you know, having been uh, been able to meet some of the people over the last several years Mm -hmm. and visit the facilities and and connect. It's just like the people behind the scenes are amazing. They're incredible. Like to dedicate your life to do the work is you have to be a a special kind of person yeah. and that's not me i am a i'm a step removed from it right. so our team who are you know boots on the ground are the ones that they just have the biggest hearts and i heard um it was naomi she's our, our site manager at the shelter and she makes me cry pretty much every time she speaks because she just is so present and comes from such a, a caring place right. but you know her her idea is just that everybody's Everybody is somebody, somebody. So she wants to be that person that maybe they don't have their somebody with them. Right. She wants to be that somebody. She wow. is that somebody. And it's so hard to not take that home with you. But that's what brings her back every right. day. You know, so those are the kind of people that we've got working for us. They're just yeah, incredible. Yeah. And it's a 24 hour job. Like you may go home to your family, but you're probably still thinking about it. And, you know, it's a part of who you are. So 
Well, I'm sure connections get made between oh, yeah. the staff and, and the uh, and the clients. Yeah, and, you should and, bring them in because seriously, yeah. their stories, I I mean, I i shouldn't be the one to pass on their stories, right? right? They yeah. have so much to tell. They have a story tell. to tell too, totally. which is a great idea. Totally, and, and, and a lot and, of them come from lived experience as well. Yeah. You know, we have a site, uh, she works at um, the Supportive Housing building and she just celebrated her 1000th day of sobriety oh, wow. and she's got lived experience of homelessness too and now she's in this position of supporting the folks in our supportive housing and wow. it's just she's just a shining light right and so her story is just you could do like a whole podcast series about her wow. and and other folks like her you know so i really enjoyed um uh, getting to know Sarah at Gateway mm -hmm. during the Behind the Mask Incredible. project and uh, seeing the engagement with her and, and the participants in that in, a, in that environment was yeah. really, really cool. It's, you just have to see it and experience that. You know, yeah. those, those people were so, uh, it was amazing to watch them sort mm -hmm. of open up and light up and participate yeah. in, in, in that activity. Mm -hmm. And uh, Sarah was amazing. To she is incredible. Yeah. And she's, she, you know, she's dealing, she's at our outreach clinic. And so she's seeing the stories of folks that are, you know, presently living rough. And yeah. um, so in their darkest time. That's front line. And that's front line, yeah. exactly. And a special kind of person for sure to do that. Yeah. And she's incredible. We're so lucky to have her. Well, we're lucky to have you all, thank you. the whole organization yes. as a community. Thank so you. thank you for what you do. Thank you. It's important to all of us. And I know everyone recognizes it. It just doesn't always get said. So. Yeah. Well, thanks for the platform to let us talk about You're it. You're welcome. <laughs> You'll come back. At any time. Okay. I'll, I'll offer you up lots of different people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got it. All right. That's a wrap. Thanks for coming. Thank and uh, thanks for listening.